Well, you know, I've just got to say, I've just got to say, the greatest podcast I've ever listened to, Adam and Zach take a bow. Wow, the false nines. It's absolutely brilliant. From your number one friend of the pod, Steve Bruce. I absolutely love it. I've listened to every episode. It's unbelievable. And look, I know a lot about false nines. We've got one, Joe Linton. He's not a real one. He's false. Real number nine score goals. Just ask Alan Shearer. Just ask Les Ferdinand. And just ask the greatest of all time. Michael Chopra, who scored two goals in 900 games. Well, look, boys, I love what you're doing. I'm just glad your podcast's not awful, like that one on CHN Radio with Greg and Elijah. Well, the Jeff Hendrick of podcasts, that's all I'm saying. Wow, absolutely terrible. But boys love what you're doing. When the lockdown's over, get yourself over to the Toon Army. You're the greatest American Newcastle supporters I know. And if you could, just could you just bring with you some, you know, those Texas... Mmm, spur ribs, you know, with barbecue sauce and some corn dogs. Mmm, well, you know. And I'll get you a lovely doner kebab with extra chilli sauce, mayonnaise, inside of cheesy chips, onion rings. Well, you know, take care, boys. Listen, The False Nines is the greatest podcast in the world. Come on, the Toon Army. Well, you know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 62nd episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin, and graced by our other, I don't think we would call him a friend, but another yeah. another person associated with Newcastle United in one way, shape, or form. Steve Bruce, thank you so much for hopping in there, doing the intro for us Uh Love to have you on the pod. Maybe spending more time doing podcasts and less time managing Newcastle would benefit us all. Yep, exactly. I agree, Zach. Well, I'm going to start off with footy, Zach. Well, you knew footy. <laughs> do you want to explain to people what they just listened to? Uh, I can absolutely do so. So um, that wasn't Steve Bruce, just in case any of you were wondering. We weren't able to have the clout with the... Um, uh, the scope of the podcast that we have today to get him on the show. However, we were able to get British comedian Darren Farley, who does a mean Stephen Gerrard and even better Steve Bruce. Um, so he agreed to do a little segment for us for the pod to haze our friends over at CHN Radio, Greg and Elijah, the Jeff Hendrick of podcasts, CHN Radio. Check it out if you get a chance. Uh, and agreed to speak positively about our little podcast, didn't he, Zach? He did indeed. Uh, very kind words from uh, Steve Bruce, or the, the Scouse version of Steve Bruce himself. Happy belated birthday to Greg, though. I'm gonna. I'm not going to throw across the animosity that Adam does. I, I wish Greg and Elijah all the best, but <laughs> I mean, definitely a great sound. Wish him a happy birthday. I'm not, I'm not going to not wish him a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Greg. I hope you had a wonderful Can, time, my friend. Cannot believe you said those things you said before the pod about how you hoped that Greg did not have a fun birthday. That was a you devilish move that, right? on your part. No, no, that's going to get cut on the editing floor. But yeah, Darren coming in great. Thank you so much, Darren. I hope you're listening to this. He did mention that he might listen to this episode, didn't he, Adam? He did mention that. I'm going to send him the link over Cameo, so it should be, should be good. True friend of the pod. Darren Farley, True thank you so much. friend of the pod, adding to the long, long spiraling list of odd, odd, odd ones, friends of the pod, him and Adebayo can, can hang out and talk about our podcast sometime. <laughs> That'd be a good, I'd, I'd pay to see that. It'd be a fun, fun room there. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we are coming back. No cup games to talk about this week, which is nice. I feel like the FA Cup was getting in the way of 
more important discussions um, about the Premier League. We're 25 matches in for most clubs. A few of them have 24 played. If one or two have 23 matches sitting a couple behind the pace at the moment. But an exciting weekend. Manchester City continuing to roll to what now seems like a, an inevitable title, setting some historical records on the way. Another historical record broken um, in the Merseyside Derby. So we'll talk about both of those matches as well as a handful of other exciting Premier League matches from the weekend. We're not going to go into all of them. Some of them weren't that exciting and don't, don't matter too much. Um, I feel as though the farther we go down into the season, Adam, the less we talk about mid-table fixtures. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I think the the fans want to hear about the top four, who's qualifying for Europe, and they want to hear about who's scratching the bottom of the table. Of the table. Typically, that is Newcastle, um, but they're yeah. just hanging on above the relegation zone, at least for now. So I, I agree. Middle of the table, you know, those Spurs and those Arsenals and those kind of small teams <laughs> around there, nobody cares about them right now. Nice. That was good. That was clever. Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about a few matches from the weekend, and then of course a trivia question. Adam will will introduce you to your first clue in just a moment, and then armchair pundits making a reemergence for this episode, as well as ten and ninety. So kind of gonna run through the the typical bare bones structure for the day. But Adam, to start it off. EPL trivia. What are we getting into on this nice evening in Denver, Colorado? All right, for our listeners, if you haven't heard this before, I'm going to ask you an EPL trivia question. Zach is going to be your proxy. He's going to think about it and give an answer towards the end of the pod. But I'll give a clue halfway through, and I'll give a final clue towards the end of the pod, as well as the answer itself. Zach, statistic for you this week. Which player has provided the most ever Premier League assists with a total of 162? What do you think about that? Did you think about that a little bit? Got, got got any ideas right off the bat there? Don't tell me. Or you got any names that are springing to mind for you though? Yeah, there's there's one there's one person that immediately comes to mind that I think is, if not the top, is probably up there. But yeah, okay, all right. I will I will I will let that stew for a little all bit right. until our our mid episode clue. So most primarily, guess this is what you should be thinking about as you're listening to the podcast today all right let's do it okay let's roll into those premier league matches from the weekend the first one zach this was a big one darren farley if you are listening he's a big liverpool fan zach he won't (laughs) have been happy with what happened at anfield this weekend will he yeah first time everton has won at anfield in what was it 22 years between cup and league alike uh i believe so First time this century was the statistic everybody kept thrown around because it was 1999 was the last time that Everton won Anfield. There you go. That's how you have a flashy title. Uh, Everton getting the win against Liverpool 2-0 at Anfield. Goals from uh, Richarlison and Gilfie Sigurdsson from the spot. It was four consecutive home defeats for Liverpool. The club's worst run since 1923. It's all falling apart oh so quickly from Liverpool. but. For me, Adam, watching this one, honestly, I was a little surprised at how tame a match this was. It it wasn't really the normal scrappy Merseyside derby that we typically see. Yeah, especially when you think of earlier in the season when we had that really exciting 2-2 back in October. You know, this one was definitely a little bit more subdued. I think we're really missing the fans at this point. You know, there was a 
a hot moment, a couple of weeks there where Liverpool had some fans back in the stadium at Anfield. And obviously the situation with COVID has worsened since then. And there's nobody in the stand. These are the games where I really miss the fans. These derbies where, you know, a crunching challenge will get the fans off their seats. That's what I think we were missing in this one. I thought we saw a very, very disciplined Everton side in this one. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, not in the side, recovering from injury, not quite healthy enough to play the full 90 yet. Um, but then you had Richarlison as the lone striker with Hamas in behind. That's a pretty formidable front two there, and it paid off with a goal inside the first three minutes. It was yeah, it was definitely a shuffling of the deck by Carlo Ancelotti without his, uh, you know, the, the striker who... You know, on 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 a healthy, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin is healthy, he's playing pretty much every minute of the game for Everton. He would be one of the top members on that team sheet. But you're right; it, it was a, a challenge for Ancelotti to find that new structure and Richarlison getting them off to that stunning start. For Liverpool, I I have to ask Adam, what like what was the issue in this match for them? Because aside from one or two moments of Sadio Mane had a couple of opportunities with the head. Uh, I will unfortunately say this was probably the best game I've seen Jordan Pickford play in an Everton <laughs> jersey. I, I think it has to be said Pickford played a fantastic match. But what what is missing from Liverpool right now? If you had to point it down to one thing, it's it. It's a really interesting. I still think all the problems are really stemming from the central of defense. I know that they're not doing the business up top. I know that they're not scoring as many goals as they have in the past, but they're having to put Jordan Henderson, who went off injured, into a back line with a 20-year-old Kabak who they just signed weeks ago. You know, the, the stability, the organization is not there in defense. This was the 18th different central defensive pairing that Liverpool have had this season. 18 different sets of two at center back. That is insane when you think about that. You know, they've had so much stability in previous years. When you think about Virgil van Dijk, obviously alongside, it doesn't really matter who he's alongside, he makes everybody around him better. Um, but Virgil van Dijk, I still think, is the, is the main miss. And it was in that match in the reverse fixture in October that Jordan Pickford injured Virgil van Dijk. Uh, Pickford himself, who's just come back from an injury as well. That's it for me, though, Zach. I still think it all stems from the back. And with Henderson going off injured now, they barely have a recognizable center back on which to build a platform from, right? You've got your goalkeeper who's starting to become a bit shaky. It's all stemming from the defense for me. I think so. It's the, the defense and then the spine, because with Henderson having to move back into defense, you lose right. your machine player, the guy who makes it all tick. And there was a you know, I I will always pay compliments to Jeannie Wijnaldum, who has been one of the few players that has maintained a starting role in that midfield. But, you know, with him next to Thiago Alcantara and uh, the third player, was it Curtis Jones in, mm -hmm. in that midfield? On the right. There's, mm -hmm. there's almost no creativity there. And that's – it stems from, again, Henderson having to drop back. And the spine of that team is just so weak right now. And that's really what Liverpool prided themselves on for so long was – you'd have these wingers in Mane and Salah who were able to kind of go on these dizzying runs because the center of midfield was so so compact and so perfectly assembled, and that's no longer the case. And it's just – it's fairly toothless from Liverpool at the moment. It's it's fairly easy to understand that you know, we can make them put the ball out wide and then cross the ball into the box, and there's no Van Dyke coming up for headers. There's not really that 
that threat of the the quick moving passes that you might see in years past because you you don't have a lot of players who have played together in the past and I think this is naturally going to happen when you have the the severity of injuries that Liverpool has had but it's it's almost cringy to watch at the moment yeah I mean how much of this do you put on Jurgen Klopp right he seems insistent to keep playing a 4-3-3 formation right up, up top every single game we're guaranteed to have unless Jota is fit which he still isn't guaranteed to have Mane Salah and Firmino up top but behind them to your point we're lacking in the strength that they had previously the midfield isn't the same the defense we've talked about ad nauseum he seems very insistent to stay with that formation. You just lost four games in a row at home, and you haven't done that since 1923. When do you start thinking about really changing up the dynamic? The quality of the players isn't what it was last year. Surely you need to make some tactical changes to accommodate for that. It is an interesting question. I, I, I guess I would just like respond to that with what what other formation can you do without dropping any of the front three? And I think that there's not really an answer to that. You can't, there's not really another formation that accommodates all three of those players. And I think if Mane, Salah, and Firmino are healthy, they, they kind of need to be starting because you just don't have the quality in midfield to replace one of them and still think, okay, we'll still get attacking prowess going forward. So I maybe it is time to shake things up and, and maybe Klopp will, but I'm not trying to lay a ton of the blame at his doorstep with how ravaged by injuries that team has been. I don't think it can be overstated. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I mean, some, something's wrong there, though. I mean, even with the injuries, you know, they were doing better earlier in the season and they had Van Dyke out and they had some injuries at that time. It, they seem to have gone off the rails here in the last four to five weeks. They had a little bit of a momentary turnaround there, but it's pretty bad right now, my friend. It is. It is pretty bad on Merseyside for the Reds. Now, going down to the opposite side of the table and the opposite side of the country, Fulham in the other match on Saturday getting a vital 1-0 win over a fellow bottom dweller, Sheffield United. Fulham now only three points behind Newcastle. It's kind of the nightmare materializing that we've almost seen coming for the last few weeks. Fulham had uh, what could only be described as a very favorable run of fixtures, playing West Brom, playing Sheffield United, and they've taken advantage. Credit to them. They're getting themselves back in the fight here. I want to offer some levity here. I feel as though the media have been all over this. We're only three points ahead of um, Fulham in the table. You know, Let me offer some counterpoints here because I think the narrative throughout this weekend has been Newcastle are plummeting, Fulham are in the ascendancy, right? That's been basically what we've been hearing from the media, correct? Yeah, sure. So here, here's here's my statistics for you. Newcastle have taken six points from 15. Fulham have taken eight points from 15. Newcastle won 2-0 at Everton. Fulham won 2-0 at Everton. We're going to give the same amount of credit there for a great win for Fulham at Everton. We should give that same credit to Newcastle here. We have a run of fixtures coming up for both sides. Palace away is the next game for Fulham. Then they play Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Man City at home, and Leeds at home. Realistically, let me ask you this, Zach. How, how many points do you think Fulham, an informed Fulham at that, takes from Crystal Palace away, Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Manchester City at home, and Leeds at home? Five. Where do you think they get six? The, where do you think they get those points? Three against Palace and then 
Yeah, and then they'd need three more draws or a win. Maybe, maybe against I mean, Leeds. Against Leeds, yeah, Leeds are plummeting themselves right now. Leeds are Spurs, potentially. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I, mean maybe. So th- I see what you're saying, though, because Newcastle is coming on an easier run of fixtures, right? But, right. But, but my, my counterpoint there, there is that Newcastle has failed at taking advantage of the easier matchups. You know, we obviously gave Sheffield United uh, their first win of the season. We dropped points to Fulham. We dropped points to Brighton earlier this season. It's just, I, I think that you're right. It's not time to, to scream doomsday already, but I don't think it can be understated how much of a relegation fight we are already in. Oh, no doubt. We're in a relegation fight. I'm not I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm trying to say that there are many prophets of doom that have already written Newcastle off as relegated. That we is could, true. We could well get relegated. It's absolutely a possibility. I am not accepting for a minute that we are yet. I would say that the next five games for us, where we play Wolves at home, Wolves still without Raul Jimenez, but playing a little bit better, West Brom away, Villa at home, Brighton away, and Spurs at home realistically, we should be taking the same number of points, if not more, than Fulham do in their set of fixtures for the next five, right? Correct. Yep. So if we do, and Brighton are one point above us in the league, if we win that, that's a relegation six-pointer right there. We've got a very good chance of getting some form together here. The big, the big worry, of course, is that we don't have our talisman and Callum Wilson in the side. And we'll get a little bit more into Newcastle here in a few minutes. But on the Fulham front, they beat a terrible Sheffield United side 1-0. That's it. That's what they did. They won They won that game, and they won that game that we won 2-0 at Everton, and Everton are very inconsistent, as we know, this season. I am not pressing the panic button yet, my friend. Yeah, I think it, I think you just touched on it, though. It depends how quickly Callum Wilson can come back, right? Because mm-hmm. Joe Linton... I, Joe Linton has not ever and probably will not ever find the correct role at Newcastle. I think that's almost a, a surefire thing at the moment. Dwight Gale, not a Premier League striker. Let's be honest. Dwight Gale does not have the quality to, to be starting in the Premier League week after week. It, it just does not seem as though that's the case. And I I think you're right. I think it's a bit too early to really start panicking, but I don't think it's too early to to be concerned that this could come down to the wire. I, I pray that on the final week when we do play Fulham, we are safe at that at that uh, juncture in the season. I would hate to go into the final week with you know everything on the line, but nonetheless, a vital win for Fulham, staying you know in a, a decent run of form for them right now. They have not lost in their last four matches, two wins, two draws, uh, and then going on to Newcastle, the the match on Sunday. A loss against Manchester United, three to one. I think something, and this is the only thing I'll say on on that match and, and the way that it played out. But a match that we unfortunately expected to Newcastle to lose. The only part that frustrated me is we went into halftime drawn or tied at one after a really phenomenal kind of half volley goal by Alan Saint Maximin. And what happened to Newcastle in the second half was just a lack of any sort of organization, really. I, I would kind of bring it down to, uh, again, unfortunately, coming down to Jamal Lewis, Emil Kraft, really been the names that you've seen most often this season be, uh, I don't want to say blamed for losses, but associated with mistakes. And Newcastle, it just doesn't seem like we can play a complete 90 minutes at the moment. That's, that's the concerning part for me. 
Yeah, this 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 was more like what I would expect from us in that vein, though, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean in just a second. I put this loss down to two things. I put this loss down to poor fullbacks in Kraft and Lewis. Lewis, especially, I feel like, has, has just had a torrid season um, and is playing without confidence. He got pulled inside for the Daniel James goal in the second half. But the other thing I would put this down to is we actually played really well in the first half. We Manchester United didn't really get a sniff. It was a uh, you know nutmeg on craft for the goal that, that gave them the lead with Marcus Rashford, um, poor goalkeeping on his near post for Carl Darlow. But other than that, they didn't really have a lot. We had six shots on target in that first half. We played low pers- low low possession football, but we got forward and we got plenty of shots and pops in on goal. We're playing really really well in that. Here's the problem for me, Zach. We have a team that under Bruce for the first half of the season has played a very lackluster style, a very kind of non-committed, um, very boring, not very energetic, um, not really playing consistently for 90 minutes style of football. And then Graham Jones comes in and he says, hey, guys, I want you to high press. I want you to chase every single ball up top with this high press. And we did it. In the first half against Manchester United, we absolutely did it. And we looked pretty decent. As the second half rolled in, what happened? We're not used to it. We don't have the fitness level to keep that up for 90 minutes. And about 60 minutes into the game, I would say really right around when Daniel James scored the second goal for Manchester United, head started to drop, fitness level started to show, and then that classic Manchester United attack with Bruno Fernandes, with Marcus Rashford, with all those quality attacking players that they have, they put us to the sword like we assumed that they would from the get-go. But you you know, a lot of people are saying there are the performances are improving, but now it's about points. That doesn't change overnight, right? We were playing like crap and we weren't getting points. Now we're starting to play a little bit better and we're not getting points in those games. But maybe that's the precursor to something better happening. I actually have a lot of optimism for these next five games. I think that if we can continue, even without Callum Wilson, I think if we can continue that high press, try and play on the break, Miggy's playing out of his skin right now. This is the best I have seen Miguel Almiron play in a Newcastle shirt. I actually feel like we can get a decent return potentially somewhere between seven and nine points from these next five games. There you go. That's everything you need to know about the, the Newcastle man U match. I, I agree. I think with, with the high press comes fatigue and, and comes that lack of conditioning that we're kind of seeing evident in the latter parts of the game. But I like the optimism that that's something we can, we can try to hold on to as you're right. These next five, six matches will be extremely telling as to how serious this relegation dogfight is. Now, uh, the other match um, to uh, the other match on Sunday afternoon uh, was the Leicester Aston Villa match, and this match also won by Leicester. So both Manchester United and Leicester getting the victory. They're now tied on forty nine points. Manchester United ahead uh, of Leicester on goal differ- goal differential alone. Uh, but for for Leicester, uh, and this is kind of connecting back to what we were saying about Liverpool, where Liverpool's front three is coming up a little bit dry right now. Leicester's front three of Vardy, Barnes, and Madison are absolutely clicking at the moment. And I think that was the story of this match against Villa. Villa was just outrun and and by by that front three, and uh, fits were caused for their defense as they were without their talisman, Jack Grealish, in that match. Yeah, exactly. It was a great, great win for Leicester, though. Let's take no credit away from them there, especially the first half. I thought they looked they looked fantastic. They played that classic counter-attacking Leicester style. A rare clanger from Martinez 
for the Harvey Barnes goal. Jimmy Vardy mm-hmm. put a shot in and then he spilled it out and, and Barnes scored that one. So I was kind of surprised to see that. He's been almost faultless this entire season. Question on Harvey Barnes. Do you think in the current form that he's in that he makes the Euro squad for England? <laughs> Another list to add to the names of center atta- or attacking midfielders in the England lineup. I mean, it, he has any any as good a case as anybody else right now. Has been playing... Fantastic as of recently. I think it's three goals in the last five matches for for Harvey Barnes, which you know goal scoring has not typically been his calling card so far in his his young career. But you're right; he he's doing everything right on that kind of left attacking side uh, for Leicester. Helped create their their first goal, the James Madison goal, got the assist on that one, and then scored their second goal, which was eventually their winner. So, I mean. It would be tough to say that you'd see him getting a lot of time at Euros at the moment behind players like Madison, Grealish, Sterling, depending on where he plays, Jaden Sancho, depending on if he makes that roster. I mean, there are plentiful, plentiful, plentiful attacking midfielders, but Harvey Barnes doing everything he can to get in that conversation. So let me let me quickly ask this question. Um, a couple, couple questions here. I want to go rapid fire on you. Harvey oh, Barnes okay. or Declan okay. Rice? starts okay um different positions that's that's a tough one Declan Rice is a bit more defensive uh I would say who'd you you start in that England lineup first who who do you think's a first name on the the team sheet there Declan Rice because I think the defensive side of midfield is where there are less people than the attacking side of midfield Harvey Barnes or Mason Mount Harvey Barnes, because he offers more off the wing, which is where he would be playing than Mason Mount, who is a bit more of a central midfielder. Okay. Right. I just want to test you there a little bit. All right. Just want to see if uh, see what your yeah. love is like for a lesser player there. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Harvey Barnes or Iosi Perez, and I was not going to be able to answer that question. Who <laughs> <laughs> start, starts in the lesser team? Well, that's Harvey Barnes right now. Unfortunately. So. But, yeah, yeah a, a big win that was for Leicester. Again, Villa without Jack Grealish, it just reproving that Jack Grealish is is everything to that club. Uh, but uh, yeah, an enormous win for Leicester to kind of keep pace in the the Champions League race. Now the other team to hop into the top four on this weekend, West Ham, continuing to fly. This was their biggest win in recent weeks, a two one victory over tumbling Tottenham Hotspur, and this was. I mean, I, I've said it a couple times. Credit is not being enough. Credit is not being given to David Moyes for what he is doing with that team. But I, I think that what we saw on the weekend was West Ham establishing themselves as a an elite counterattacking force in the Premier League right now. Only thirty percent possession, but match Tottenham with four shots on goal, or excuse me, four shots on target in this game and getting that huge, huge victory to catapult themselves as serious contenders into the Champions League race. What were your thoughts on this one, Adam? This was an exciting match. It was it was absolutely an exciting match. Um, I, I think the main talking point for me here is the continued resurrection of Jesse Lingard. Um, I did do, we talked about it on the last pod, um, Jesse Lingard did play for David Moyes at Old Trafford. Uh, in fact, I came up with a, a recent article where Rio Ferdinand said in the offseason in 2013, Jesse Lingard in preseason was the best player on Manchester United's team. Um, and Moyes was the person that was getting the best out of him. So obviously he's he's fallen a little bit flat. He's 27 years old. He hasn't been really performing and getting in the United team 
two starts since um, Project Restart happened. So Lingard comes in, and this guy scored three goals in three games. He's he's playing out of his skin right now. You got to give a lot of credit to David Moyes here, right? I mean, what an astute piece of business from him. Absolutely, yeah, manager of the season, front runner for me right now. Getting the best out of every player in that lineup. You know, Thomas Suchek is being linked with Bayern Munich at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think there's ever been a player. I mean, I could very well be wrong because I did not research this, but I, I I doubt that there's ever been a player that's been linked from going from West Ham to Bayern Munich and doing this in one year. You know, Suchek was playing in Prague before he came over to West Ham and alone last season. So it's not as if he was a high-profile player before moving to London. You have Suchek, you have Declan Rice that, again, I'll say, unfortunately playing well because I know you you hate to admit a good run of form yes, for Declan, Declan Rice. Rice. Um, you know, I, I'd say Fornals is a very important player on that team. Mikel Antonio getting a, a goal, the first goal in that match coming back from his injury. And West Ham has been kind of changed overnight it almost seems, and and seeming a, a really formidable team at the moment. Uh, Lingard obviously being the, the star man, and perhaps this was what his career needed, is a step away from the intense spotlight of Man United going to a team like West Ham that, that can proper, properly utilize his talents, and talents there are there. Who do you take to the Euros, Lingard or Harvey Barnes? Ooh. <laughs> there we go, nice. You're doing a very good job here. Um See, they are very comparable, so that's a tricky one. Um, I would say you take Harvey Barnes. I think there's a little more there's a little more meat on that bone in terms of proven pedigree uh, with Harvey. But but let's say Lingard goes on a poppy Cisse like second half of the season, then then everything changes come May. So we'll see. Yep. Good point. On the flip side of this, one other thing I wanted to mention there on this game is you remember the reverse fixture of this Spurs went three nil up um, at home inside 16 minutes earlier in the season. And then Manuel Lanzini scored a screamer to make it three, three in injury time in the reverse fixture of this. So obviously Spurs with some revenge on, on their minds, they didn't get it. It was a two, one win. And I want to talk about Jose Mourinho right now. So worst ever start at a team in 50 games for Jose Mourinho in his career. So the first 50 games with any club he's ever managed, this is the single worst start he has ever had for Spurs right now. And then I want to also take a moment to talk about a stat. I want to talk about Jose Mourinho's first 50 games with Spurs. And I want to talk about Mauricio Pochettino's last 50 games, both in the Premier League with Spurs. You ready for these stats? I'm going to blow your mind right now. I love this. Give it to me. All right. So... Jose Mourinho, 81 points from 50 games, from his first 50 games for Spurs. Mauricio Pochettino, 85 points from his last 50 games as Spurs manager. Goals for and goals against. Mourinho, 84, 57 against. Pochettino, 85, 4, 56 against. A better offensive and defensive record. For Pochettino, over supposedly one of the most defensive Parker bus managers in history, in Jose Mourinho, and then finally the win statistics: twenty-six wins from fifty for Pochettino, twenty-three wins from fifty for Jose Mourinho. Did Spurs do the right thing by letting go of Mauricio Pochettino and bringing in Jose Mourinho? No. 
I think the only of of those two decisions they made, the only one that you, is defendable is letting go of Maurizio Pochettino. Now, I'm not saying that they should have necessarily, but I think it ultimately became a pot that was boiling over, and it seemed as though it may have been time for both parties, Tottenham and Pochettino, to move on. But and I flip, I've 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 now been embarrassed by myself. I flip flopped on this a little bit because at first I said. Mourinho is absolutely not the right man for this club. He is a regressive defensive style manager. This team is brimming with young attacking talents. Tottenham then goes on to start the season. First 10 matches, I think they were first or second in the table. It's like, (laughs) I was wrong. Mourinho has it all right. Who am I to doubt the genius of the the Portuguese maestro? And now everything is coming back down to earth. So Adam, I'm going to flip-flop one more time. I'm going to go back to my original points and say Mourinho is proving that he's passed it. This team does not have the bite that they had at the beginning of the season, even with a healthy Harry Kane, even with a healthy Kyung Min Son. It's just not there anymore. Meanwhile, Pochettino on the ascendancy. Massive historic win for PSG over Barcelona in the Champions League. First leg of the, the knockout stages, round of 16. You had Kylian Mbappe scoring that historic hat-trick. will never be forgotten by the Parisians. And it's just two managers going in completely opposite directions in their career. So, I we you know, it, it's tough to say what would have happened if Pochettino stayed. Maybe the, you know, the, the issues would have continued. But this certainly does not seem like it was the proper replacement for a club like Tottenham that say what you want about their history, but a lot of talent on that pitch. Yeah, um, I, I want to correct you a little bit here on the Pochettino bandwagon because PSG actually lost to AS Monaco this weekend. First team to do the double over PSG since 2011-2012. So Pochettino isn't all that. They're third in the league. My team in France, where I lived previously, Lyon are in second place in the league. So okay. relatively I think, I think new. I, I, would, I, I, would, I would say the, the win over Barcelona is far more important to them than, than winning Absolutely. the league for for the the nth time in a row. Yeah, Mauricio Pochettino has proven that he can do it. And by do it, I mean get to the final and lose in the Champions League. Um, He has not proven that he can do it domestically in the league yet. And that was obviously what PSG's strength was for so many years, was dominating Liga. So it'll be interesting to see the dynamic there, whether they can shift that a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. potentially struggle against some of their domestic neighbors. And then obviously they got to the Champions League final last year. Maybe they can do it again this season. That was a very impressive win to your point against Barcelona. Anyway, I digress. Um, What a great game for West Ham. Very impressive. London Derby come out 2-1 winners. West Ham up to fourth. The last game we're going to cover for this weekend is Manchester City at Arsenal. So to set the stage here, obviously we've got Pep Guardiola coming in with a Manchester City team that Mikel Arteta was none too familiar with um, from obviously being there, being Pep's understudy for, for several seasons. The dynamic was set. Arsenal... We've got um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang getting back in the goal, scored a hat-trick a couple games ago, starting to, to score again. And you've got Manchester City with the best defensive record in the league coming in. Were you expecting a goal fest here, or were you expecting somewhat of a you know, a stingy defensive game here? This is kind of what I expected. I, I, I don't necessarily think I would have expected a, a goal in the second minute by City and then nothing else throughout the game. But I, I did not particularly predict a goal fest, especially because, as you just mentioned, City with the best defense in the Premier League and 
and Arsenal with a respectable defensive record for a team lying in the, in the middle of the table. But what was interesting about this one, Adam, to me was that after scoring that goal, it was a, uh, a Raheem Sterling header uh, from Riyad Mahrez in, in the second minute. It seemed as though Manchester City was like, okay, we'll play possession-style football. It, they really slowed that game down. And that's what was so impressive to me about City is Manchester City had 120 more passes than Arsenal did in this match. And really, for the bulk of that 88 minutes after taking the lead, they were able to kind of diffuse any sort of attacking threat that Arsenal was trying to put forward. Arsenal only getting one shot on target in that math match, excuse me. And that's what's been so overly impressive about City and Pep Guardiola this year is their ability to adapt, their ability to change the style of play. In this match, playing with Kevin De Bruyne as a false nine. So no out-and-out striker for the majority of that match before bringing on Gabriel Jesus, who never does anything for Manchester City. Uh, and again, they're Manchester City clear favorites to win the title unless, you know, pending some sort of collapse. And what it comes down to this season, I think, was really nicely encapsulated in this 90-minute match against Arsenal. Yeah, you've you've covered basically everything I wanted to cover there. And I think, to to your point, you don't necessarily need a number nine. City are proving that this season, that they don't necessarily need that goal scorer that's going to bang in 20 to 25 goals a season when you have so much offensive threat from players like Ilkay Gundogan, um, Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, players like that that can chip in with all these goals for you. If they continue to do that and you keep it tight at the back, you don't need to score four or five goals a game. You can grind these games out against the Arsenals of the League 1-0 um, and be very proud to do it. Um, this, to me, is probably the Manchester City that I have the most confidence in to go the furthest in the Champions League that I've ever seen. I feel like this the fact that they've been able to get it figured out defensively and they still have that potency in attack. That's what they've been missing all along, right? They, they're not going to score as many goals as they have in seasons gone by, but they're certainly going to keep it tighter defensively. And for that reason, I feel like Manchester City has a real shot in the Champions League this season. I love that shout. Yeah, I, I think just the, the way that goal was scored kind of epitomizes how versatile this team is. Raheem Sterling getting a, an unmarked header in the box, like, Raheem Sterling is one of the shortest players on the pitch on Sunday, and the ability for him to cut in from the left, Riyad Mahrez, of course, is always going to put in that delicious ball when he cuts back on his left foot. But this team, you're right, they have everything, they have the adaptability, and they they do seem to know whatever their identity might have to be in every match. It does seem like it's a situational identity for City rather than a team like Liverpool that is going to play the same way Every single match, they're going to beat you to death, and it's it's coming back to kind of bite them in the ass this season. City can adapt; they can they can shape shift, if you will, um, and just another impressive notch in their belt for what will be a title season for for the citizens. I'll leave you with this stat, Zach. Teams in their last five Premier League games that have gathered less points than Newcastle's six: Sheffield United, West Brom. Here we go, Southampton. Liverpool, Spurs, and Arsenal. That's a wild one. You're, you're hitting me. You're hitting me hard with these stats today. I like this. This is good. Uh, I know. I return to form for you. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. No, I, uh, I I've been really kind of doing my homework on this because I I am not like I've said jumping on the negativity bandwagon yet for Newcastle with us being relegated. I feel like I felt worse five games ago than I did than I do right now. La- yeah. 
I, I, I like that a lot. Last thing I'll say about the the City Arsenal match before we're going to uh, go on to the second trivia clue and then take a quick commercial break. Uh, a player in the mid-season reviews that I marked as potentially Arsenal's top player of the season, Kieran Tierney, had a nightmare of a game uh, going up against Mares in this Mahrez one. Mares skinned him for yeah. the goal, didn't he? Hung Mahrez skinned him for the goal. It was Mares's 30th birthday that he was celebrating, and boy, did he celebrate in style, running circles around Tierney. So uh, definitely, that, that was one thing I noticed when I was watching this match is a, a player who seems to kind of be slipping in form a little bit. Riaz Mares had his... Riyad Mahrez, who I will I will say safely now is the Arhen Robin of the modern day Premier League, always going to cut in on his left and just doing circles around Tierney. So last thing on that match. But Adam, you want to give us our second trivia clue before we go into the break? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So I'll remind you of the initial question here, Zach. Which players provided the most ever Premier League assists with a total of 162? For your first clue, my friend, this player spent his entire club career with the same team. I absolutely know who it is. That was the one player I was thinking of. Very good. <laughs> All right. Very well, happy now. No spoilers for our listeners yet, uh, but we will give you one more clue if you haven't managed to get it yet um, towards the end of the pod. And of course, reveal the answer. Awesome. Quick commercial break, as I said. Wonder what the ads are going to be today. We will find out when we edit this podcast, but be back in a minute. All right, welcome back to the False Nines. We are going to be chatting to you about a segment that we haven't had for a while, have we, Zach? Armchair Pundits. It has been a minute. I, I don't know why we took it out, but Armchair Pundits is a fun one. I think it's because... Inter- interviews. Interviews. Interview, yeah, it's, we yeah. have to hear from, from Norwich City fans and Bristol City fans and whole city fans i actually want to have my friend come on for a whole city league one update soon but that we, now i'm just running we've, we've had fans from none of those three teams this season <laughs> no we we had your dad one time and that's our nard city our there, you city there, there you go well i'm sure pundits for those that have forgotten as it's been a while is our segment where we chat a little bit about a wild prediction um that one of us will make and we'll try and back it up might might be seen sometimes as controversial but we'll try and back it up with some statistics i would like to go first because you stole my thunder a little bit on this one zach so i think you're gonna like this armchair pundit for me today david Moyes will be manager of the season this year Ooh, i i took that thunder right out of your hand (laughs) (laughs) you sure did it's all good though i've got some stats though i want to back it up and i feel like i might have your uh your favor on this one 13 wins from 25 this season only six teams have scored more goals in the Premier League than West Ham, and only six teams have conceded less. They're doing it on both ends of the pitch. Um, only the two Manchester teams have lost less games than West Ham. Uh, big decisions from David Moyes through the season. We talked about Jesse Lingard, who he brought in. Um, the, he let go of Sebastian Haller, the club's record signing, and is sticking with players that are a little bit younger. He's starting to bring down the average age of the squad. That was a criticism that we had of that team for, for quite some time. They were an aging team. We didn't see where the the kind of youth was going to be coming through there. He settled down the team defensively. He's got Mikel Antonio playing some of the best football of his journeyman career Um, and arguably I would say that West Ham are the biggest overachievers in the league this season you look at teams like Southampton and Villa Villa now who obviously have dropped a little bit in the table Villa are sitting in eighth spot might make a case for them in terms of overachieving but this is a man who when he was brought in at West Ham to say that 
the <laughs> to say that the West Ham fans were underwhelmed, I think, is kind of an overstatement there, right? They love Dean Smith at Villa. He's a Villa lad. He's from Birmingham. Moisey comes in on the back of having really not succeeded at a massive club like Manchester United and comes in and they're like, oh dear, which which Moise are we going to get? Are we going to get the Manchester United version? Are we going to get the Everton version? Version, And he comes in and he's really put his stamp on this club. He's gotten rid of the players that he doesn't want there and he's brought in some players and turned over and brought in some youth there. Credit to David Moyes. He doesn't get the appreciation he deserves. I hope that he takes home the trophy of manager of the season. The only player, the only manager I could think maybe that would take it from him at this point is Pep. Yeah, I think the the front runner is always the league winner, right? But I I think that just uh, everything you said is exactly where my arguments would would stem from. Is the expectation versus reality? I think is a huge way that that I kind of base my evaluation. Mm-hmm. I like the shout about Dean Smith. I think that Villa is is falling off pretty quickly and. You know, although they're an eighth at 36 points, they're only four points above Palace in 13th. So that midsection, the kind of torso of the table is is quite tight. Southampton is, is falling apart at the seams right now and could very well get dragged into a relegation fight themselves. But yeah, it's it's you're right. The 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 stigmatism that that kind of surrounded David Moyes after his time with Man United, uh, I always thought was fairly pretty unfair because he came into let's say some pretty large boots to fill, but um, mm-hmm. I, I love what he's done with that team. And we've, we've heaped a good amount of praise on to, to West Ham today, which they deserve. Yep. They absolutely do. All right, sir. What do you got for me? Okay. Um, you kind of touched on this earlier very lightly, but you didn't really steal my thunder. You just made a little bit of noise. Uh, my armchair pundits for today is that Manchester city will win the title Sentence doesn't end now. That's not a very audacious statement to make. Wow. Manchester City will win the title without a player in the top five scorers in the Premier League. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, and, and again, th- this is something you you definitely alluded to when we were talking about City just a few minutes ago. But what is so impressive about this team is the variety of scores that they have, both around the pitch and off the bench. So right now, the the league leader in goals is Mohamed Salah. He has. 17 goals in his 25 matches. And the closest Manchester City player to him is Ilkay Gundogan, a player that typically, historically, is not known for his goals. He has 11 goals. So six behind Salah. He's in tied for ninth in, in uh, the goal charts. It's, it's really more like fifth. Uh, because you know they just rank them lower and lower after every tied player. But I don't see Gundogan keeping that you know goal scoring prowess up necessarily, or maybe more so that there will be some separation made by a player like Salah, a player like Calvert Lewin, perhaps Harry Kane or Hyungman Son gets back on the goal scoring charts. Kane with a goal on the weekend, and I think this just speaks to how well balanced that team is. The next highest scorer on. Manchester City, Raheem Sterling only has eight goals in the Premier League this season. So what they are showing, it's 50 goals through 25 matches, the most, or the second most, excuse me, in the Premier League behind Manchester United uh, and coming from all angles. And I, I do want to give credit to one player who will not be scoring a goal for Manchester City this year, and that is Ederson. I think the distribution that he shows, the ability for him to start the counterattack immediately upon catching a ball really speaks to their ability to get these goals and anybody running forward it might be getting on the goal chart. So Manchester City doing it from all sides of the pitch right now. 
Yep. Credit where credit's due. Yeah, I think that that's a really great shout. I, I, I was not sure how many Sterling had scored, but you're right. I don't necessarily see him banging in 10 or more but between now and the end of the season. So it's a, it's a good shout. I like it. Okay, cool. All right. We will hop on over to, to 10 and 90 then to, to close it out before the the trivia answer that Zach Pensek is so proud to to know this week. If it's not for something that I'm going to be. I'm going to be real mad at myself. If it's like a Duncan Ferguson-esque player, I don't know why he came to mind because he didn't play his whole career for one for one club. But uh, um, okay, again, I'm, I'm ranting here. I'm, I'm ruining our rhythm, Adam. Do you want to go first or second in 10 to 90? Uh, I'll go first today. I've got an interesting theme for you, which I think you're going to enjoy. Okay, all right. What is it? And I know it's 10 and 90, but I got a little excited with this. I was having fun with it. So you've got, you've got seven, seven today. We've literally never abided by that. And I don't think anybody who listens to the podcast knows why it's called 10 and 90, a name that I came up with for our first, the first episode I ever did of this podcast. And that was the only episode that I held to the name. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave the mystique of why it's called 10 and 90 <laughs> alone and let you go with your seven questions. Sounds good. All right. So I'm going to talk today about Premier League, current Premier League manager net worth. And have you ever played a card game where you go higher or lower? Of course. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to have you do today, Zach. I'm going to start you with an amount, and then I'm going to give you a manager. And then I want you to tell me if his net worth is higher or lower than that amount. And then the following manager, I'll see if you can guess correctly by going higher or lower from there. Does that make sense? I've never thought of how much money Premier League managers have in their savings accounts. So this yeah, is this a weird is, one. But. This, is, this is not how much they are currently getting paid. This is their net worth. So Okay. All right. We're going to start with a total of $25 million. All of these are in Great British Pounds. 25 million pounds, Jurgen Klopp, higher or lower than 25 million? Lower. Lower is correct. Jurgen Klopp's current net worth is 20 million British pounds. For him. All right, next up, Mikel Arteta. Got Klopp at 20 million, higher or lower than Klopp? Oh, okay, okay, I see. So, all right. Uh, higher because of his playing career. He probably made a lot of money in endorsements and, and his salary during that. It's lower. Mikel Arteta has a current net worth of $15 million. Where, where are these stats coming from? Huh? Where the, are these it, stats coming from? The interwebs. All right. There we go. Good good citation. Uh, okay. So $15 million for Arteta. Yeah. Carlo, Carlo Ancelotti. Oh, he's won everything. So he has to be higher. He is higher. He's at he's yeah. at fifty million. Yeah, British I mean, I think he's won the he's won the champions like three times. I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, all yeah, pretty much all with AC Milan, right? Definitely got a nice payout mm-hmm. for that. Yep. All right. Next up, Steve Bruce. <laughs> remember, we remember lower. we were we were at fifty million for Carlos. It has to be lower. There's no way. There's it's no lo- way he has more money. It's lower, but it's twenty eight million. It's higher okay. than Klopp. It's higher than Arteta. Steve Bruce has a net worth of 28 million British pounds. Yeah, that, that's probably almost entirely from his playing career. That would, that would make sense to me. Um, and, just, and, Klopp, and saving money from his entire crazy long career that he's had as a manager. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. okay. Steve Bruce at 28 million. Next up, Brendan Rodgers, higher or lower? Brendan Rodgers. I'm going to say lower. I don't think Brendan Rodgers has more than that. 
Correct. Brendan Rodgers, yeah. 16 million. Yeah. Net worth. That makes sense. All right. This one's fairly easy, but I'll, I'll, we'll start here because I want to tee it up for the last one. Pep Guardiola. You've got Brendan right. Rodgers at 16 million higher or lower for Pep. I was wondering if you were going to do him right after Ancelotti because that's where I would have had some issues. But he, without a doubt, has a higher net worth uh, than than Brendan Rodgers. I couldn't do it right after Carlo Ancelotti because apparently they have the exact same net worth. They're both uh, of a okay. net worth of 50 million British pounds. Yeah, M- multi-time Champions League winners. Pep obviously played for Barcelona. Probably played, paid pretty mm-hmm. prettily during that. So, okay, yep. that was good. That was fun. Uh, well, I got one more for you, though. Last one. Teen it up. Jose Mourinho. More or less, higher or lower than 50 million for Pep. Ooh. This is your last one. Maybe slightly lower. Now, there's no way you'd put him last if he was lower. Jose Mourinho has to be the highest net worth out of all of them. I know you well enough. You called me out. It's good. Uh, 80, 85 million oh my for God. Mourinho. Yep. More than any other Premier League manager, Mourinho is the highest paid or highest has the highest net worth, excuse me, sure. in the league. That is more than 4x what Jurgen Klopp has in net worth. That is. About 3x what Steve Bruce has in net worth. Jose Mourinho, highest net worth in the Premier League. To round out my 10 and 90 or 15 and 90 or whatever the heck it was today, uh, my Welsh word that I would like you to pronounce, Zach, I'm going to spell it for you. Mm -hmm. Again, no vowels. G-W-Y-R-D-D. Girth. One more time. Girth. Gwerth. Okay, okay. That wasn't the farthest I've ever been. No, it wasn't too bad. Um, there was literally no reason I picked this word. I just wanted one without vowels in it again. So it means green. I guess right. the green, the green, the green field. The green, green pitch. The cash. Oh well, no, the, the cash. The cash in their bank, my man. The green, green grass of home for Wales as well. Could be could be many things, but it, it wasn't meant to be so. Didn't really bite on that one, but that's okay. <laughs> Cash okay. money. Cash money, yeah. Uh, all right. So my 10 and 90 has a theme as well. Um, and I'm not going to try to connect it to yours. Uh, it just has to do with people doing a job. Okay. That's it. So you're going to you're gonna see a trend here because every question is the same question. Uh, we'll start it off with question number one, Adam. What, I guess, which, so I got my English wrong here. Which profession would Kevin De Bruyne be doing if he was not in football? Is this my these opinion? Or, oh, there's yeah, a these are all okay. hypotheticals. There's not like a right answer here. He has not gone on record to say what that answer is. Gotcha. Okay. If Kevin De Bruyne were not a football player, Kevin mm-hmm. De Bruyne would be working in a Waffle House. And give me why. Is... You, have, you have to tell me why. Because he is Belgian and they like waffles. That's good. So that's a good answer. Uh, and the right answer. Um, question number two. Which profession would Sean Deitch be doing if he was not in football? Bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to give me a why there? Or do, <laughs> no, I mean, come on. Seen Sean Deitch? Eats, yeah. As Darren Farley would say, he eats bricks and nails. No, come in bricks and nails. Time, <laughs> All right, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, what profession would Mario Balotelli be doing if he wasn't in football? Uh, he'd be a hairstylist. 
Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, he, he kind of has a, uh, you don't mess with the Zohan type energy to him. You, ne- yeah, you never think he'd be into hair, but he is. Yeah, so yeah he's I, got like, I like good, that. Defined lines there. Good, good job. Yeah, he's always doing some stuff up there. Uh, okay. Which profession would Manuel Neuer be doing if he was not in football? Uh, he'd be working at a bank because he saves everything. Very nice. Very <laughs> nice, Adam. <laughs> That was, that was that was a cute answer. Um, okay, and finally, number five, what profession would Phil Foden be doing if he was not in football? I want to say something super inappropriate, but I can't say that. Um, what would I do instead for Phil Foden? Hmm. I think Phil Foden would probably be unemployed. I think he would be on the streets probably breaking into cars and stealing stereos out of them because Phil Foden just looks like he has that chavy look about him. <laughs> That's good. I like how you said that you weren't going to say something inappropriate. So then you kind of circled back to something that was like on the way to whatever you were thinking. Yeah. I, mean, I, was thinking I was thinking about the Mason Greenwood incident with the England squad and, and how he might be doing something inappropriate there, but. Okay. All right. I like all those answers. Those were all, yeah. those were all very good and probably correct. I think I think they're absolutely correct. <laughs> All right. Do you want to provide the final clue and the answer to the trivia question? I will, and then you can gloat. It's fine. Okay, so again, listeners, our EPL trivia question for the week. Which players provided the most ever Premier League assists with a total of 162? Your first clue midway through the pod was this player spent his entire career with the same club team. Your final clue before Zach gives his answer. We'll give you a second to think about it. This player currently manages internationally, but has never managed at club level. Wait a minute. Do I not oh. know this? Oh, did I get him? Did I get him? You can't see this now, listeners, but he's looking thoroughly confused. He's doubting oh, no, his existence. Oh, I see. I would have got that wrong with the closest wrong answer if you didn't give me that last clue. <laughs> Thank well, God. Uh, Ryan Giggs would be the answer to your trivia question. Ryan Giggs is the correct answer. Who were you thinking? I was, awesome. I was thinking, I was thinking Scolzi. Oh, were you? Yeah. I, the, yeah. Again, the, cl- the closest player that's not Ryan Giggs is the other player <laughs> who played his entire career man, United uh, in the center of midfield. That's true. Scholes was more of a goal scorer than he was an assister. Sure. Um, yeah. Got a great goal scoring midfielder. Mm-hmm. Probably probably the best ginger to ever play football. Ooh, I like that. I, I don't have I don't have a dispute there. Jack Colback though, somewhere in that conversation. No. <laughs> All right. Well that that was a that was a good trivia. I'm glad that I'm glad that I'm back in winning ways. Uh, and yeah. A, f- a fun pod indeed. I'm very much a uh, big, big thanks to Steve Bruce for joining us on this episode today. You'll hear a little sign off from from Steve again. Uh, as we always talk about, uh, you can always follow us uh, at Coming Home Newcastle, CHN Radio. Get all the podcasts you need on the a, Jeff Hendrick that... of podcasts, Zach. The Jeff <laughs> Hendrick of podcasts. <laughs> anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can listen to uh, our podcast as well as the CHN Radio podcast. Uh, always shout us out on Twitter if you want to. It's at CHN Podcasts. So give it, give us a shout if you have any questions or comments on, on what we're talking about. Adam, any matches this weekend you're, you're excited for before we close out? 
Yeah, I think quite quite a few. Um, first one for me, Man City versus West Ham. Um, the high-flying hammers. Manchester City, 18 wins in a row in all competitions. Can they end the streak? Can they be the Brock Lesnar to the Undertaker and break the streak? Great question. I, I was I was thinking of putting that as my armchair pundits that they would, but I don't think they will. But I think it'll be a good match. It's at it's at the ass ahead. So I might have said the same thing if it was at West Ham because they're playing pretty well at home right now. But to your point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that will be a good match. I think another one that is sticking out to me is Chelsea Man U. I think that's an obvious uh other answer. Not really too much besides that. Maybe Leicester Arsenal. I think Leicester will have their way with Arsenal. Um yeah, yeah everything Actually, else I, is kind of I picked, yeah, one, I, picked I picked I picked one that wasn't Leicester Arsenal. I picked Palace versus Fulham for the importance of it more than anything else. I think if Palace win, that takes them up to 35 points and they're all but safe. Um, if Fulham win, obviously they um, they would go level with Newcastle. This is assuming Newcastle actually played before Fulham do this weekend. Um, so we'll see we'll see how that pans out. We're playing an inform Wolves team. So we'll see how that goes. But Palace-Fulham, I think, is going to be really, really interesting as a game. I'm really obviously rooting for Palace in that one. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, for for our sake, absolutely, we'll be rooting for for the the London Eagles in that one. That's not really their name, but it, it's not not their name either. Uh, all right, cool. Well, with my awkward transitions, we'll close this one out, Adam. All right, until next time, my friend. Putty. Listen, the False Nines is the greatest podcast in the world. Come on, the Toon Army. Well, you know.